And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Coming up on the show this week. Eddie Howe's men brought back to earth with a bump at Leicester. Is it the toughest week in club football? We face Klopp's Reds and Pep's Blues inside four days. And reinforcements are in order. Chris has been hearing all about your January transfer window desires and how they can't come quick enough. Hello everyone, I'm your host Taylor Payne and we are back to full strength this week. Yes indeed, it's the triumphant return of Mr Chris Woff and of course our senior writer Mr George Cog. And how are we doing chaps? How are you Chris? Are you good? Well... Not really. Oh, I mean, seeing as you've said back to full strength, and the week Newcastle have lost four nil, and the triumphant <laughs> return, I, t- I, I feel be- I'm being goaded from the very start. Yeah, it's all your fault, Chris. Everything was your fault. <laughs> I-, I did send George down there, so I feel I've won on that. Goal. That's very true. How are you, George? You all right? Yes. Well, you know that um, you know that gorgeous photo of of the Newcastle squad and staff all celebrating together after after Burnley. Mm. You know that. Yeah. Well, I got that printed out, and so that is now burning in a small fire in front of me at the moment. And I'm using that to warm my hands. <laughs> is this some sort of satanic ritual that you're going through here, George? Where you're trying to ward away bad spirits? No, it's 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 the ritual of Newcastle United Football Club. That's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. Are we all okay anyway? Have we had a, we had a good week. Are we all uh, we all full strength? We feeling all right? Well, I mean, yes, I drove to Leicester and back yesterday. I'm going to try and keep this as light and upbeat as possible. There was a <laughs> diversion on the way back. Junction 59 on the A1 took me into Peterlee, and at that point I just did feel a bit like just carrying on driving into the wilds of County Durham and never never coming back again. But apart from that, yeah, tickety-boo-boo. Wonderful stuff. Well, I'm in a, uh, I'm in a sprightly mood this afternoon. I've just been to see my little boy do his, uh, his final ever nativity in primary school as he moves up to big school next year. Uh, and the true horror of the real world will hit him full in the face. Who did he play? Uh, it's nice to- <laughs> yeah, who was he? Uh, he wasn't anyone. It was just like a, um, like a nativity kind of carol service thing in the church. Uh, so, yeah, he wasn't King Herod or anyone. I was one of the three kings in my nativity place. Look, were. look, a star. That was my line. <laughs> and Chris, I'm presuming you were the donkey, is that right? Uh, I was Santa once, but I don't think that was in the nativity. Santa I don't think I don't, I don't think he featured. I don't think it's he features the in the nativity. <laughs> different version of the Bible than what I've got. Yeah. <laughs> 
not bad Santa, that's just disappointing Santa. Oh, God. <laughs> Santa. Oh, brilliant. Excellent. Right. Oh, I needed that little chuckle. That's lovely. Right. Come on, then. Let's get on with the football chat. So, back to life, back to reality, eh? The Foxes ran right in the hen house that was Newcastle United's defence in a 4-0 thrashing at the King Power Stadium. 4-0, George. I think that's flattered Leicester somewhat, hasn't it? But it wasn't exactly a vintage performance by Newcastle, was it? Uh, No, I would argue it was a vintage performance by Newcastle. I think that was... (laughs) That's exactly what we've come (laughs) to expect. If if Newcastle United were a wine, then it was very much Mm. 2020-2021 vintage, I would say. say. Um, It's aged like a fine milk. (laughs) It has indeed. (laughs) And yeah, and Eddie Howe said the same thing after the performance yesterday, that it wasn't wasn't a 4-0. I was there. I don't know. It did feel like... I mean, (laughs) you know, Newcastle had more possession than Leicester. That's not totally... I mean, that is very surprising in some ways. It's not in others because we know Leicester are a counter-attacking side, even without... Jamie Vardy. In terms mm-hmm. of the defending, it was a 4-0. I mean, I kind of know what he meant. Every time they had a chance, they seemed to score from it. But I thought it was awful. I mean, I, I thought it was awful. I mean, there were moments in it um, that I thought to myself that Newcastle have a chance. You know, there's a chance for Newcastle to have something here. Sitting next to my colleague from the Athletics, Stu James, who was writing about Leicester, and he was saying the same thing, you know, there's something in this for Newcastle. I think that's where my disappointment lies, actually, that um, it wasn't wasn't a thrashing thrashing, it was a thrashing that came about in a match which Newcastle had chances, and I don't think, I think they undermined themselves as opposed to being totally flattened by by Leicester. That was my annoyance. Yeah, I mean, Chris, when you look at those those four fixtures that were coming in a row, this one looked like it was probably the most winnable of the four, or or at least the one where we could get something out of it, even if that was just a point. But uh, we didn't do a very good job of that at all, did we? Well, for, for, for 10 minutes, I thought they did. And I think that you could saw exactly why a lot of people... I mean, anecdotally, just about everyone I spoke to going into... Sunday thought that Newcastle had a good chance of getting a positive result, um, which mm. is always that dangerous territory you slip into. But we are really, oh, forever. I put bloody money on Newcastle to win yesterday. I mean, I, I that's what I do don't do a stupid thing like that for. Well, I, I, I'm so annoyed, Chris. I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm just but it's saying, I, you know, Newcastle has sucked me in like that. You know, there is that after the Burnley win, and it's like, oh yeah. You know, Leicester had had that really difficult game in Europe on Thursday night and they've got all these in- illness and injuries and then they lose Johnny Evans a couple of minutes into it. You sort of think it's all there for them. And uh, I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I'm more annoyed at myself than I am at Newcastle, actually. I'm more annoyed at myself for being upbeat. And that is the lesson I promise to learn, everybody. Yeah, I was going to say, that's very out of character for you to be upbeat, isn't it? But uh, yeah. It won't ever happen again and I apologise. Sorry, Chris. You were saying there before you were rudely interrupted by Lord Gambling over there. Well, I was ch- I was on the phone to George in, in in the car yesterday when he was on, was on the way down. I had him on loudspeaker in, in the car, and, and Alice, my wife, was there. And George had said how he was predicting a win. I said I thought they'd get at least a draw, and and Alice just just put it in and said I, I get worried every time the two of you are positive about a game because it's not very often. And then yeah. what happens exactly 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 as did happen. And, and yeah, for ten minutes I thought Newcastle. I mean, the press tie that caused mm-hmm. so. Problems obviously Evans then went off and then Didi to begin with looked uh, nervous, gave the ball away to Callum Wilson, and it looked like Newcastle 
we're going to have opportunities. But for some reason, after 10 minutes of pressing, Newcastle sort of sat deeper. And I, and I assume the plan was that they were going to go through phases of pressing high again, but it just never really seemed to come. It was a it was a strange sort of way that they just sort of gradually fell deeper and deeper and deeper. And then, obviously, once they conceded the first goal, realistically, they never they were never really looked like getting back into the game in any way, shape or form. No, that that penalty incident as well. There was a lot of pissing about, wasn't there, before before the ball eventually found its way back to James Madison, Shelby and Lascelles uh, tippy tapping around the edge of the box. Do, is it a dive, George, or not? Um, it, to me, it felt like he jumped into Lascelles' leg, but at the same time, Lascelles was daft to be waggling his foot out there, wasn't he? I mean, it was definitely a dive. You can see that on the replays that he's moving. You know, he's he's falling before the contact. He's looking for the contact. He's anticipating the contact and he's going down. But uh, I found it difficult to be annoyed about that because the thing that annoyed me was what Newcastle were doing in the first place. I mean, so, yeah, you, you know, which was playing the ball out with Leicester players all around them. And, you know, Dubravka gives the ball to Lascelles. Lascelles can't pass the ball, you know. And so asking him to start something off like that is... I, 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 I think was a mistake. He then put Shelby under pressure. Shelby puts himself under more pressure because his touch isn't good. And then there you go. Suddenly, you know, suddenly Leicester have got the ball or, you know, about to get the ball inside the penalty area. It's absolute madness. And Lascelles hangs his leg out. He hangs his leg out. I've watched this so many times today. He just hangs his leg out in a way that is inviting Madison to do what he did. I'm not condoning it, but... If he had tripped over that leg and not dived beforehand, would we say it was a penalty? I think we would. I think it raises lots of questions um, because Newcastle were doing something that doesn't come naturally to them in playing out like that. And the person instigating it isn't equipped to do it, in my opinion. And it takes us back to this thing of changing changing styles mid-season. That's always difficult. It's a tough thing to do. But you were also doing it. It was also, you know, they're, do, they're doing it against a team which wants to attack in in space and Newcastle played such a high line throughout the whole game admittedly they were then chasing it but they were caught out time and time again and so that's what I mean about this self-inflicted part of it it was bad defending but it was bad defending in a way that it didn't have to be and and I don't know, I, I, I spoke to my boss after the game and he was like talking about Pep Guardiola coming in at Man City and I know it's very, very diff- diff- different and I'm not trying to compare the two teams and clubs but he said, it's going to be painful playing the way that I want to play and we will make mistakes and it, it sort of put him in mind of that and I know where he's coming from. It's just that, you know, and, and we want to see Newcastle play attacking football, we want them to be organised as well but I don't know, I, it just felt like a... It just felt like a right mess to me. All those goals were were horrible, and they were all they were all avoidable, and they were all self inflicted, weren't they? Every single one of them. Well, that's what I mean. It was Newcastle. I mean, it was Newcastle putting pressure on themselves, and they 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 weren't able to deal with Leicester pressing either. I mean, I totally agree with with Chris. I look, you know, I enjoyed the first ten minutes because it looked like yeah. they were well, they were they were right up the pitch. They were going to have a go, and they were having a go. Newcastle can't do that. I mean, I don't think they can do that for 90 minutes. So perhaps, you know, perhaps that was part of the plan to sort of do that for 10 minutes, see what happens. I think they should have carried on doing it because at that point they were causing Leicester problems and with Ndidi in there, who's not, that's not his his best position, they had, the, the, you know, they, they had a chance to go for something. And that's what I mean, it was an opportunity lost. I think there was, you know, you had moments where you felt that 
there was, there was, I mean, Leicester looked nervous at the start, um, but anyway, they dropped back and then. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, that that first goal is 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 desperately annoying. I think. I don't want to dwell on the penalty incident too much, Chris, but but with regards to the dive or not a dive or whatever, VAR is there surely to spot things like that and to to be able to take it back. Would that have been a case of re-refereeing the game in that in that situation, which is what they don't want to get into with VAR, isn't it? But if it's a clear and obvious error, I mean, Madison's jumped into Lascelles' leg. I've got an issue with this about VAR because I, I, I see why people are claiming it for that, but actually I don't want VAR to get involved in that situation because I think if it isn't if it isn't given, I don't think VAR would intervene to give it either, and I, I do think that's a case of re-refereeing again. I think, I think clear and obvious. The issue is Lascelles has hung his leg up and eventually catches him. I don't think it's a penalty, but equally Lascelles puts himself in that position to be able to commit that, and... and I agree with George. I have I have little sympathy for Lascelles on Newcastle, not only because of how they got themselves in that situation, but actually I'm doing a piece uh, which will go up midweek, which is looking at Newcastle's penalties conceded this season. Newcastle have conceded six penalties, which is the most in the Premier League. The next highest is four. Burnley and Southampton, who are both the relegation rivals, haven't conceded any. Last season, Newcastle conceded five penalties across the whole of the, of the campaign, and they've already conceded more this season. And... Of the penalties conceded this season, of the six, Jamal Lascelles has given away three of them. No other Premier League player has given away more than one penalty this season. That is an issue, and that is not just... You can talk about being unlucky, you can talk about... Situ- but Newcastle are playing themselves into situations over and over again. It was the same with Kieran Clark when he got sent off the other week. That penalty incident was self-inflicted, as were most of the other goals. And that's where the concern is, that although Eddie Howe has made a lot of changes since he's come in, and although Newcastle looked defensively more solid against... Let's be honest, a limited Burnley side, certainly when Corny went off, they are they have chronic defensive issues which haven't been resolved yet and which I really fear for this week. Yeah, it was incredibly frustrating, wasn't it? And and I don't think that frustration is uh, any more perfectly encapsulated than by uh, John Anderson. Have a listen to this. Shelby on the edge of the area, stretching to receive a ball from the cells. They played themselves into... Just say what <laughs> you think, John. Don't sugarcoat it. <laughs> to be fair, that that does cheer me up. It was like, oh, it's the same with the, uh, it's the same with the Jacob Murphy miss at Watford. Just shoot the ball. Just it's great. Put it in the net. <laughs> put it in the net. Amazing. That's right. Yeah. 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 Oh, he's, fantastic, Ando. He speaks for all of us. Cheers, Ando. He does. And credit to uh, uh, Newcastle United uh, NUFC TV for that as well. Right. Um, yeah. Callum Wilson. I want to talk about Callum Wilson, George, because. I thought he looked incredibly isolated in that game. Only eight touches of the ball in the first half and only two of them in the opposition box. We need to get the ball to him more, don't we, in those dangerous positions. He's just not got enough enough help at the minute. No, and he's you know, he's Newcastle's most most important player. They've, you know, we know that he can score goals. He's he's done it regularly enough and he's he's looked good this season. Um but Absolutely. I mean, and and they did, you know, they did sit back after that. I mean, he can press. He can press. He can do that. He put Leicester under pressure when he ran at them. He can force mistakes. And, you know, that, that sort of didn't happen from that moment. And it still is about finding... It still is about finding the right solution. It was an unchanged team after Burnley. I don't suppose you can really kind of complain about that too much. Um, I mean, you... You you can't afterwards after how badly it went, 
Um, but but sort of at the time that sort of felt all right. But it's about you know it's about that correct balance between solidity and providing you know providing sort of chances. I mean Newcastle did have chances yesterday, but they weren't of the type that you would sort of think. You know you, you don't you don't walk away from it feeling that. It was unstoppable momentum, or that they were yeah. that they were bound to score. It just wasn't. I mean, they had more shots than Leicester. It just wasn't that type of pressure where they're getting in on goal all the time. I mean, I think there were sort of some some missteps all over the place. I mean, you know that that midfield still isn't working. They're relying on Shelby to to spray the ball around. He didn't have his best game yesterday, and I, you know Willock deep beside him doesn't work. I don't think he needs to be further forward, doesn't he, Willock? If he's going to play, he needs to be further forward. Yeah, I was actually just going to say as well to Chris, Alan Samaxman's having a bit of a funny run of games, isn't he? He's, he he doesn't look uh, the usual sparky self. Um, he's lacked a bit of focus, I think, over the last couple of matches, and. He's taken a turn down too many blind alleys and, and at times feels like he's almost trying to force it, Chris. And I got that feeling definitely from him yesterday. Like, it, it just was never going to work, whatever he tried. No, I mean, there's a few times where he tried to run it. There was, I think it was one corner Newcastle had, which was cleared to halfway. Then Sir Maximan picks it up just inside his own half and tried to fanny on with the ball and gave it away and Leicester went on a, mm. on a counter-attack. And that was... Fanny on. There, there was, Brilliant. There was... <laughs> That's a coaching also, term, I, by the way. I also felt, as, as, as much as Jamal Lewis struggled and, I, and and he was out of position quite a lot, I also felt for him in terms of having Sam Maximan in front of him because yeah. there was also a couple of incidents where you just watched Sam Maximan just basically give up after about three seconds of trying to track his man and then it was there was that overload. And so when Sam Maximan is actually playing almost, and it was a 4-2-3-1 almost for part of the game, but he was essentially meant to cover the left back and he and he really wasn't so both offensively and defensively I think there's issues with Sam Maximan there at the moment he doesn't quite look right and, and he is getting the ball far too deep as well it's not just his fault that's also his teammates fault but another thing I do want to mention and if we're going to be in just to look at the issues there I, I also think there's been some questionable substitutions in the in the last few games um, I think when Isaac Hayden came on at Arsenal when Newcastle were 2-0 down with 88 minutes gone that was a strange one then there's been a couple of matches including Sunday where substitutions have been made and trying to work out exactly the system they're playing has been, I, I, it took me, I couldn't really work out when sat when uh, Ryan Fraser came on yesterday and, and Jacob Murphy eventually it turned out Ryan Fraser was playing out as an out and out left back now it may sound negative, but if Ryan Fraser hadn't come on as an out-and-out left-back, would Newcastle have conceded the third and fourth goals? I'm not blaming Ryan Fraser for those goals, but I understand that Howe went for it, but equally, in the end, it ended up costing them and they lost 4-0. And so, albeit to be positive with the substitutions, but the whole there's a couple of times where he's completely changed the system, which you can say is proactive in one sense, but also it almost looks sometimes that like the players aren't entirely sure what system they've been switched to. And I thought that was a bit of an issue yesterday. I did think that they just became more and more open once the players came on and it wasn't just that they were chasing the game it just became chaotic as well absolutely uh, anything else to add George well I mean on that subject that it's important I mean so the, for the for the game after Newcastle's first clean sheet in the league you know they've conceded four four again which means that they're now conceding an average of more than two goals a game again and you know that matters for two things. I mean, in a very basic sense, if you're conceding two goals a game, you've got to score three to win. That's just not going to happen. The other thing is, it starts taking a toll on goal difference again. And having sort of tightened up a little bit, 
it's um you know that's that's now not looking good again and that you know that then becomes worth worth an extra point so although things are you know the i think the good thing from the weekend is that things still look relatively concertina down there they've not been cut any further adrift but you know admittedly um you know burnley burnley got a point so they're one point ahead again i mean so it's not it's not sort of disastrous in terms of that but my yeah my my disappointment is that there were there's two signs of it firstly i think we all had that sense of uplift after burnley it was an important staging point to get that first win there was a bit of momentum there and there was i still say there was something to, to be taken from that game yesterday i don't think that that's a ridiculous thing to say even looking at the scoreline there were moments in the game where newcastle could have got something and really i think the failure was theirs as opposed to leicester's you know leicester's brilliance can Absolutely. I also end on a positive? Can I end this section on a positive? I want to read out on, oh. Stu James's tweet from uh, the, from today, who was the co- our colleague who was with George at the ground, who said, tweeted earlier today, a belated tweet about my trip to the King Power yesterday. Newcastle support, effing outstanding. Bloody hell, mm-hmm. you'd want to be a hero for that lot. Well, there you go. So that's a neutral talking about how good it was. I hadn't seen that. No, and I, I mean, I made, I made a point of... Of saying that in the in the sort of match piece that I wrote, but I mean it was astonishing. There were three thousand people there, and and the backing, you know, the backing was brilliant throughout. I mean, I know it's a cliche, and I know it's very easy to say, and you know, sounds like sort of tickling the belly of of fans and stuff like that. But it was so loud all the way through, even when the goals were being peppered it, peppered in. Newcastle fans were dancing and taking the piss out of Leicester's goal music and you know there was and and it was good and it yeah and it was you know it was it was really good to see and by the end they were still there i mean they were still there at the end so it hadn't been that kind of draining away people want to be around the team and put people want to be at those games and so you know that was that was brilliant it was sort of you know i sort of made the point what i wrote that the previous week against Burnley, you know, there'd been that sort of extraordinary kind of lap of appreciation and things like that and that feeling of togetherness. Yesterday, it felt much more that when Eddie Howe and the players went over, it was like an act of supplication. It was sort of an act of, yeah. an, of apology almost. But no, my God, they were they were brilliant. And Chris is, Chris is totally right to, to, to mention that. And it's great, you know, it's great when other people notice it. So, and Stu, Stu, Stu did point that out yesterday. I was watching the game yesterday in the uh, in the strawberry in Newcastle, just uh, outside the ground there. And around about the eighty seventh, eighty eighth minute, uh, the game was running out. Leicester were already four a lot, and uh, I could hear the crowd singing. Uh, and I thought, oh, the Leicester fans are really enjoying this, you know. And then I listened carefully, uh, and it was the away end singing Geordie Boys yeah. taking the piss. Yeah. And I thought, well, there you go, that's it. <laughs> and long may it continue. Yeah, going to need it. You know they're absolutely, absolutely. need that moving forward, and it's it's still refreshing. It's still refreshing to see that sort of togetherness. The songs are positive. You know that's a cha- you know that still makes a change. And yeah, team team and fans need each other. It's just great that they're on the same that they're on the same side. They didn't they did not get their money's worth yesterday though. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. 
Head over to MichelobeUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. So, uh, next up for Eddie Howe's Mags uh, is a trip to Anfield on Thursday night, followed by Man City at St James's Park on Sunday. A nice, easy couple of games to take into Christmas there, George. Eh? Isn't that a present? It's a beautiful, steaming present, yes. Uh, so, Chris, the uh, what's what's the approach with these two games? Because the temptation uh, is to write them off already, isn't it, as, as two losses? Or is there a possibility that Newcastle could actually get something from either of these games? Well, ideally, I'd like to just to refuse to acknowledge they exist, but seeing as I've got to cover both of them because I'm contractually obliged to, then... Um, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, Man City at home, I think, slightly different because at home, Newcastle have looked a lot more certainly offensively solid and, and, and even more defensively solid, to be honest, under Eddie Howe so far, whereas away from home, it's where I think they've really struggled. And going to, to go on Anfield at the moment, I mean, going on Anfield in general for Newcastle is awful, but going there at the minute, I just I struggle to see how they're going to get a positive result on Thursday, given the form Liverpool are in their top scorers in the league, I think. Obviously, Newcastle conceded the most and they're playing some silly. And so, for me, the first, the first 20 minutes of Liverpool-Everton the other week was, I think, the most intense... 20 minutes of football I've seen from a side in years. Yeah. To, to think Newcastle to think Newcastle are going to survive against that I think is unlikely. I do think to an extent it is about damage limitation at, at Anfield. I don't think that Howe will fully see it like that. I don't see it being a, he'll put 11 men behind the ball and try and soak up as it might have been under Steve Bruce or even Benitez before that but I do think that there will be more pragmatism about the way he approaches it and I think that's wise because if they try and play like they did at Leicester, the issue was, although I do think Leicester was there for the taking, what Leicester did do was they had quality players in Tielemans and Madison who exploited Newcastle's weaknesses. Liverpool have far better players even than those and if Newcastle play like that at Anfield it will be a cricket score. I mean we're gonna we are gonna get our arses handed to us George aren't we let's be honest. I mean I don't like to predict the future but there's a good chance you'll be proven correct in that one. Yeah. I mean I, one thing one thing that I would say that kind of Eddie Howe's got right is that he always says I don't look at these games as a run of games I'm looking at them individually I mean I know that yeah. sounds sort of stupid I mean it sounds sort of obvious in some ways but it's also the right approach because if you just look at them well there's no chance we're going to get anything out of them well okay you know but if you take them individually then you know it sort of feels a bit different I mean I think he I think things will have to change if Newcastle are going to get anything out of them I'd, I'd you know they, they're going to have to protect the back four if it stays a back four or or perhaps move to a back five again and um I mean I think he's I think he's sort of said that internally that there are games when he's going to have to change his approach um and I think you know certainly certainly Liverpool away would be one of them I would and I'm not just saying this because I love him I think there's a case for bringing in Isaac Hayden um, into midfield at, at Liverpool and trying just trying to offer a bit of protection there because there isn't there hasn't been enough, um, but you know he's he's one of those players so far who hasn't had a really had a look in under 
under the new head coach. I just think that that sort of change has to be made. It does look very daunting at the minute. He's a different type of player, isn't he, Isaac Hayden? And he'll obviously add a little bit of steel to that midfield, which we might need. I'm, I'm not sure whether we get that out of Joe Willock uh, and John Joe Shelby in there together. And, and, and Chris, I would love to see Joe Willock playing further forward. Uh, uh, and he just doesn't seem to be carrying the goal threat now, does he? No, I mean, it's interesting because it seems like a more progressive midfield, and it is in many ways, but also Willock has more defensive responsibility and he is he, you can see he is trying to do it. it's not his natural game but you can see he is trying to come deeper and do that and I think that is restricting him to a certain degree but it's equally that 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 suppose that was what we've chatted about before is with, with Joe Willock is it that you build a system to suit him or does he have to do you have to either find a way for him in this current system or do you remove him from the team altogether that's been the problem I think throughout his his career and at Arsenal they, they couldn't really fit him into what they wanted to try and do and at Newcastle at the moment seemingly Eddie Howe wants that sort of player on his side but it just doesn't the balance just doesn't quite seem to be right there I don't think mm. certainly away from home I don't think the attack and balance quite looks right at all Joe Linton at home looks like he's offering a lot more to, than he than he is in away games the same with Sam Maximan as we we're saying he's getting the ball too deep Almiron as well although I think he's been very busy the last couple of games and he is you can see he's been told to try and shoot more and he's actively trying to to, to get into those positions to, to shoot he's still it doesn't look natural for him it doesn't look like he's comfortable in the situation in, in those sorts of areas so I don't think that those problems are going to be solved away at Liverpool. I think they're unlikely to be solved at home to Man City. But I do, I do think that that Man City is is less of a, a write off in terms of potentially getting a point or something. Newcastle's recent home record against Man City is is pretty decent. Um, and given that the, the quick run of games, given the fact that the St James's Park crowd will be there, I think Sunday is one where it it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they get a point, whereas at Anfield, I, I, I really have very little hope for them there. George, we're going to have to fix this leaky defence, aren't we, if, if we're going to try and get anything out of these two games. Um, is there a, a case for Federico Fernandes to come back into the team? Fabian Scher has been struggling a little bit, and obviously we've talked about Jamal Lascelles and his issues as well. Do you think Fernandes could be a possibility to come back in? Yeah, and of course, Kieran Clark's been struggling as well. So w- w- once you say that, you're talking about three centre-half set, and Fernandez hasn't been in the team, but he did come in and do very, very well against Norwich. And yeah, it's you know he's he's an option, but I mean, I think this is the problem when you say it's a, you know, you you talk about it as if it's if it's something that can be solved. I'm not sure that it can be. I don't think there's a, yeah. I don't think there's a solution there beyond getting to January and then bringing people in. I just think, um, you know, it's it's not like that that they're all terrible players but they're all going through rough patches and Newcastle just need an upgrade and I'm not sure these players play the you know play the way that uh, Eddie Howe wants to play so it's about getting through and no if they if they set up and defend anything like they did at Leicester it would be it could be very traumatic I could. And Chris, there's a there's a very real possibility of Newcastle going into 2022 with only one win under their belt. I'm not sure if any club has ever done that before and managed to avoid relegation. You're the stat boffin. I'm sure you could probably dig something up on that. Uh, and unless uh, Agent Rafa fancies handing us three points when we go to Everton, uh, I, I think it, it, there's a real distinct possibility of us going into 2022 with only one win. That's if Benitez survives that long, I suppose. They may even get a new Good manager point, bounce yeah. themselves by the stage. Um yeah, there, there unfortunately is a very realistic uh, prospect of that. And, and that, then, obviously, we have the January window, which we're going to discuss in a second, but also the first game of, of 2022, which is a trip to Southampton, which already looks massive 
in itself and so that's George why that one is he is that George Gordon he, that one? he is indeed yeah. he is indeed <laughs> South Coast trip for George Odds great up. way from the start of the new year happy new year George um, but <laughs> <laughs> sorry it took me a while uh, to find that yeah <laughs> that's but that's why I think that Leicester felt so deflated in many ways as well because it seemed like it might be an opportunity even if it was just a point to just nudge Newcastle on and give them a bit more positive momentum going into a, mm. a tricky run of fixtures and, and so Everton becomes massive and then obviously Southampton's absolutely huge so yeah I, I, unfortunately I, I don't know off the hand whether only one win going into the new year any team's ever survived but I, I will try and find out for you they were already at the point of no team having got, you know, having had the start they'd had in terms of not winning a game and staying up. So they're already in uncharted territory. In some ways, that doesn't matter from this point because you know they're on the same they're on the same points as as Norwich. Burnley only one above, and it's not like the other teams are adrift. I mean, that's the, you know, that's that's the sort of important thing. What Newcastle have to do is they have to get to January still in in touch with those teams. But having said that, we, you know, we speak as if January is as if it's, you know, one date. And of course, it's not. It's it's an entire month. And we're speaking as if they're going to do all their business on January the 1st. And so in that, and that's very unlikely. I mean, I would love them to do that. And, you know, they're obviously working very hard at the moment. We know that and they have been for some time. But, you know, January is an entire month. Um, you know, you don't have to think back too far to when Benitez was here and they signed Almiron on the last day of the window I think it was and he was fuming because he thought there was a you know that deal was ready to be done yeah um at the start of the month they haggled over fee and they you know they got him for a bit less money but they'd cost a lot of goodwill and they'd lost a lot of time and you know January January is a long is a long month so they don't just have to get to the January the 1st you know they might have to get some way into January and then of course you're hoping that the players you sign can be integrated straight away, a fit, a firing, know what they want to do. We're not allowing for any settling in period here. So, yeah, you know, when we say to ourselves they've got to get to January, do we? What do we actually mean? Well, you probably mean they've got to get to February still in touch, really. Yes. Well, we shall have a look at that January transfer and in a little bit more detail in just a second. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
So, Chris, uh, you did a, a transfer window discussion on The Athletic this week, and you lovely subscribers threw an awful lot of names at him, uh, some of them more realistic than others. But, Chris, I just want to ask you a question directly first. One of the names that's been linked uh, is Sven Botman, uh, and I've also heard a rumour going around that Newcastle are planning on trying to coax uh, former Bayern Munich player Arjen Robben out of retirement, uh, announcing them as a as a double sign in the dynamic duo that's of Botman true. and Robin. Is that that's is that true, true Chris? I mean, that is Chris, the worst Bot- sort of pun ever. That's <laughs> Botman and Robin, Chris. God. Botman and Robin. I mean, you could see that coming in the same way that Leicester could see Newcastle coming. <coughs> Chris, Botman and Robin. Yeah. Any any truth in that, Chris? I, I got I got. You don't have to repeat it five times. I got it. I got it the first time, and it it was not particularly funny in the first. When you just kept repeating it. Oh, wow, Chris. Nice, re- nice review, Chris. <laughs> and Robin. I mean, Sven, the dynamic duel. Sven Botman is someone who uh, <laughs> our colleague actually um, David Ornstein wrote about in his column earlier this month, saying that Newcastle are very interested in him. The issue is that so are most of. The clubs in Europe, and he is yeah. currently playing in the Champions League with Lille, and probably doesn't want to switch that for a potential uh, Championship-bound club. So that would be a very ambitious yeah. one. He's a very highly rated player. But I mean, basically, the, the, this transfer discussion, which which has been launched uh, on the Athletic, is so that I can do a, a written uh, mailbag later this month, sort of answering transfer questions. I mean, a lot of it turned into people basically telling me who they would like to sign or suggest firing names. So. A lot of who've been mentioned, the likes of James Tarkowski, Kieran Trippier, Nat Phillips, Nathan Ake, Jesse Lingard, even Giorginio Wijnaldum's been floored to return because he wants to go on loan from PSG. Again, I mean, wonderful signing, although he would be. I just can't see him switching PSG, even being on the bench for for, for, for Nick, return to Newcastle United at, at this Why would he come time. here? Well, exactly. And so- There's absolutely no reason for him to come here whatsoever, is there? We are not an attractive proposition at the minute, are we, Chris? Let's be honest. Well, no, not really. I mean, that's what Christopher Wise's comment was. Do you really think money will entice players to come to Newcastle at all with us in this shape? And and that is that is a real that is a real concern. And what my understanding is that a lot of a lot of agents who've been approached by uh, sort of Newcastle about their clients have, have sort of said tried to put them off for the last few weeks and said, well, let's, let's wait and see sort of where you are towards the end of the year, where well, where you actually are come come the start of the January window, and it's very much looking like Newcastle are going to be in the relegation zone potentially adrift by that stage. After the next couple of games, and that makes things even more difficult. But those names we mentioned before, Tarkovsky definitely is a player Newcastle like and have liked for a while. But so do a lot of other clubs. And Burnley, why are they going to why are they going to sell James Tarkovsky to Newcastle in January, even though he's in the last six months of his deal? Um, it makes more sense for them to try and keep him, stay in the Premier League, and then lose him for free next summer than than potentially sell him to Newcastle and go down at the expense of of, of Newcastle. So all those other players, Nathan Ake, that relies on Man City wanting to go on loan. Obviously, he's, he's played for Eddie Howe before. I can't. I think that one's unlikely at this stage as well. Kieran Trippier, um, Atletico Madrid, you've got the same issue going from Champions League to, to, to relegation zone. Jesse Lingard's an interesting one because he keeps re- repeatedly being linked. And before the weekend, I was sort of... I'm, I, was, I just kept on... Thinking, what? Why do Newcastle need a sort of attacking midfielder style player? But actually, when you look at them now, I think that is part of the. I think you saw, and Eddie Howe touched upon it himself, not in terms of saying bringing players in, but what Newcastle do need is a little bit more nous around the box. I think that the yeah. final ball is still lacking. I think that the decision making in the final third is is an issue. 
And so someone like that would be an ideal sort of sign in many ways. But equally, Jesse Lingard has a lot of interest from elsewhere and you've got to question whether they want to come to Newcastle. So that is the, that is the problem that Newcastle have at the minute. They're, they're so, the, the January window, as you've said so many times, is so difficult anyway. But Newcastle's position is a real predicament in terms of trying to sort things out for January. But we do know that they are working a lot behind the scenes uh, in terms of leading into January. And actually, I'll, I'll throw this question across to George because this was hmm. this was one uh, from, from Toby A who, uh, who asked, who is actually leading the thinking going into this window without a director of football in place? And George, you've been sort of looking at this, haven't you? Yes. And I mean, the answer to that is if we're talking about who's who's sort of looking after the transfers, it really is Amanda Staveley, Mirdad Vidusi, it's Jamie Rubin and it's Eddie Howe and Steve Nixon. I mean, that's the group that are that are looking at transfers and and sort of doing doing stuff. So that's not to say they're not getting sort of advice from elsewhere, but you know they're the people that are working on transfers, so they're doing it whilst the the search for a director of football or sporting director, whatever that position may formally be known at, goes on in the background. So so they're doing it. I mean, I, I, there are fa- there are fascinating parts to it because theoretically we know Newcastle have all the money in the world. In practice, that's not how they're being run. That's not the way it's going to work unless things drastically change. But certainly, from the stuff that we hear behind the scenes, um, you know, again, it's it's being sort of run on, on business lines. Someone like Lingard is fascinating because he's coming to the end of his contract at Manchester United. Manchester United will still want a fee now. Theoretically, Newcastle, you know, could pay that if the worst happens, they go down. They would probably get it back, but. In terms of wages, he's really at his peak right now, and you know this this would be his big move in terms of wages. Are Newcastle prepared at this point to uh, absolutely rip up the wage you know the wage bill that they've got at the minute? Someone like Lingard might be asking to effectively double their highest paid player. What does that do to the squad morale? Does it do anything? These things are kind of quite delicate. You know, I, I, I think there's, I think there's room for them to maybe take the odd punt on loans and things like that. But it's fascinating because people are just looking at them at the minute and and seeing banknotes. And again, fine, Leicester was terrible, but if you look at this team and this squad, what's the strength it's got? Well, it's it's probably spirit. It's probably the fact that they're all honest players. Where you know, where is there is there a jeopardy there? There's all sorts of things pulling them in different directions. Uh, Chris, as well, how about players going out of them? I know we've been talking about players coming in quite a lot, and obviously that's what people get excited about, but is there any potential uh, transfers out from the squad? Well, Newcastle are going to have to move players on because, or they're going to have to leave players out of the squad, one of the two, yeah. but that would ideally do the former because they have a full 25-man squad. One of the goalkeepers, probably Freddie Woodman, is highly likely to go out on loan because if they can find the right club, because then they've got four goalkeepers registered in the squad. They don't. They're, that's unsustainable really when you when you want to strengthen I also think you're looking at the likes I mean there's a lot of interest in Dwight Gale from championship clubs but there's the same issue there's been for a long while which is over his wages and and championship clubs want to pay that and also if Newcastle let Gale go out on loan they'll need a replacement striker in because if Wilson gets injured as is as as he quite often does they're not going to have a replacement striker there I think someone who you've got to look at who's there's a good chance could go out would be someone like Jeff Hendrick who can't hasn't get any any football really at the moment. Eddie Howe doesn't seem to fancy him, and to free up space, particularly because I know Eddie Howe would ideally like a, a midfielder. I mean, what he what he wants is the three positions that seem to be 
there seems to be a lot of interest in centre back, uh, full back, and 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 midfield. He'd, he'd like other areas covered as well, the likes of go of, of attacking midfield, which is why Jesse Lingard's been mentioned. But and it, so I, I could see someone like Jeff Hendrick potentially going out just to, to free up space, if nothing else, because they have they have too many they have too many players that they, they they have to try and sort that out. I suppose another one who's who's an interesting situation to watch will be Sean Longstaff because he's going at the final six months of his contract. Um, his situation still hasn't been sorted. Uh, there was a lot of interest from Everton last summer. My understanding is that uh, that interest hasn't really gone away. I don't know if it's advanced or not yet. I haven't heard anything very recently, but that that would be a potential one as well. Where if Eddie Howe wants to free up space and Sean Longstaff thinks that he's better served going elsewhere, then that could potentially be an exit as well. You would imagine that Everton would rely on whether Rafa Benitez stays in the job as well, wouldn't you? You would think that it, that sounds like probably his doing that transfer rather than anyone else. Yeah, I think I think I think I think Benitez would be influential if that was to happen. So yeah, that that goings on at Goodison Park, I suppose, could potentially affect Newcastle. I'm not saying that's a definite. None of these things are definite, but this is this. These are just the. This is again, you're balancing ins and outs. That Newcastle's outs will affect their potential ins as well. Otherwise, they're going to have to, and they may they may end up having to, to leave people out of the squad in the second half of the season just because they want to get players in. And they can't move players on. As far, Chris, as well as youth players coming through, Dylan Stevenson and Elliot Anderson are doing well in the youth ranks, but there's not really any threats to the first-team squad, is there? And uh, old Santi Munoz has is, is, is not showed up yet, and he's uh, out injured, apparently. So is there any potential youth players coming through? Not in terms of players I can see regularly featuring for the first team. I mean, Elliot Anderson has been there or thereabouts for a while. There has been training with the first team, as a few other youngsters have, and maybe he may get a chance, particularly during the congested uh fixture list in terms of coming on during matches I can't see him starting too much I just don't think he's ready he may well need a lone move I think that they wanted one they wanted one ideally from last January that didn't happen Bruce told him he would get game time that didn't didn't turn out to be the case same with Joe White they're probably the two players who are closest to potentially breaking into the the first team fold but neither of them you you wouldn't say that either of them are sort of uh, imminently going to be in the first team squad I think that they're, but they're the players certainly who most promised they just need they need game time elsewhere really first Fair play well we'll keep an eye on all of that and as you know George life always imitates art doesn't it Sven Botman is the linchpin of Ian McIntosh's Newcastle football manager say of Ian who was on the show the other week He was yeah I just think if um, Sven Botman and Ian Robin um, joined Newcastle at the same time. Yeah, you could actually have. Bo- oh, you've done that, haven't you? Yeah, it was. Yeah, fucking terrible. Leave the shit jokes to me. I resign from this podcast. <laughs> it worked, George. It worked. We've done it. <laughs> hey, I've just, I've just, I've just had, I've just had someone very kindly on Twitter. Oh, go on. Remind me of this. Apparently, it came up on their Facebook mentions. So here we go. This is Mark seventy four NUFC who says this. Four years ago today, it took a while, but we eventually got there. And he's very kindly tagged in Mirdad. Here, here am I saying four years ago, understand that NUFC are close to agreeing a takeover by Amanda Staveley's PCP <laughs> Capital Partners Group. An increased bid of around £300 million has been submitted and significant progress made over the last few days. No comment from either side at this stage. Wow. And I followed that up by saying, there would, I understand, be compromises on both sides, some money to be released for transfers next month, even if a deal not finalised, and the continuation of Sports Direct ads for a limited period. Now, you cannot tell me that I am not spot wow. on in my accuracy. The Oracle. Only four years out. <laughs> what is the only thing wrong with that? Four years, yeah. It's four years between friends. Well, exactly. exactly I got there George. in the end. I got there in the end. You always do. 
You always do. And that's why you are our very senior writer. <laughs> You've just tried to do a Botman and Robin joke. So I'm not taking any lessons in you. Tried and failed. In you? From you. Anyway, right then, let's wrap this shit show up. <laughs> Uh, it's our last show uh, of the year next week, and if everything goes to plan, COVID restrictions uh, withstanding, we'll be getting together for a Christmas, a Christmas. Oh, Sean Connery's back in the room. A Christmas special. Well, uh, I've we'll lost my sex appeal, <laughs> and we'll be looking ahead to a potentially very exciting future, even allowing for a possible relegation. Didn't know Sean Connery was Welsh. Impressive. Uh, so uh, there'll be plenty more transfer chat and we'll be asking you uh, for your questions and comments. So keep your eyes peeled on The Athletic uh, and probably on Twitter as well. Right then, Chris, you're off to play five aside. Good luck, break a leg. Uh, and until then... Cheers, guys. Thanks to George uh, and thanks to Chris and thanks to all of you out there for listening. And from everyone at Pot on the Time, it's goodbye for now. Athletic.